rises down here on the bay last because the tall part of the continent, well, blocks the sun for at least half an hour after the upper city seasons. It fills the bay early in the morning and it feels as though it's going to be a little bit humid as the staff comes out and knocks on the door of the carriage house frantically at the tolling of the eighth bell. I pick up my gun and look out the window. Vesper shoots up out of bed and just looks around. Vesper, what a good sleep. In fact, everybody, what a good sleep. Except for you, Garnak. Uh, probably four or five paces before the staff got to the door, you were woken up nice and quietly. Or actually, check that. How did your alarm wake you up? The alarm triggers uh, a device on my gauntlet, which would most likely just start flashing and probably stab my wrist. Like a pulse and chime sort of thing. So there's a buzz, bing, buzz, bing, buzz, bing, poke, and then Garnag jumps. And uh, that's the motion that wakes the rest of you. A half second later, there's a frantic knocking on the door of the carriage house. You apparently were all asleep. Bam, 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 bam. I'm going to move to the side of the door. Is it a pull or push door? It opens into the garage. All right, so I'm going to move to where my gun's going to be pointing directly at whoever's standing in front of the door and look around for whoever's close to the door and gesture for them to pull it open. Magrin will be by the door. Her bedhead is even worse than her regular hair, all tangled and matted on, like, one side. She clearly slept harder than she needed to on the one side. So there's a second where Magrin leaps right up off the floor where she was sleeping to her feet. Facing away from the door, she kind of steadies herself and blinks her eyes and then... Oh, your glasses are on the floor next to where you were sleeping. I'll definitely pick those up. Okay, so you pick those up, put them on, the world comes back into better focus. Um, then you actually flick them back to the settings you need to see every day, and the world comes into perfect focus. I guess I'm getting that. And she gestures to the door. No, no, after you. The door opens, and there's a worried-looking gnomish sort of gentleman in a morning suit. Behind him are a couple of porters who are sweating and holding some disheveled-looking trays, which themselves bear breakfast. They both look quite upset about something. Madam, says the doctor from the house, are you quite well? Yes, I am fine. There are dead beasts in the yard. Is, is everyone within quite well? We've had minimal problems. Well, may we come in? We've dropped breakfast, you see. I make eye contact with Garnack. Should we let them in? I nod and cock the gun. I cautiously open the drawer and gesture inside. Okay, well, these guys bustle in, and uh, the two guys behind them are carrying these big trays with, uh, like, those domed lids over top of them. They come in and uh, note that there's a work table where, you know, nobody appears to be sleeping, and so they set the trays out there, and uh, then they bustle out, and then a couple other kids come in with uh, 
with a table and some chairs, which they begin to set up in the middle of the open part of this garage. When they're done, they bustle out the door too, and this uh, doctor fellow's like, uh, they didn't set up. Oh, this is terrible. Uh, we've had the groundskeeper check the rest of the, the... Is anyone hurt? Fortunately, no. Uh, by, by a stroke of luck, we're all mostly unharmed. Wonderful good news. The, the master was intending to come down. You see, he was up quite late in his drawing room, and uh, I, I don't know what he'll do when he hears. We are headed out for for the rest of the day, I do believe. Well, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, please, um, don't leave before you've eaten. You don't need to tell me twice. And uh, with that, he, he bows sort of like, yes, okay, that's good. And he's like, the no, that gnomish gesture, like, okay, well, thank you, thank you so much. And then, like, he kind of backs out, looks at you, Magrin, up and down for a second. You think you can see a little flush in his cheeks, but then he's gone out the door. They didn't even react having the gun drawn? They didn't seem to notice. Yeah, that's not good. I'd like to cast Detect Poison on the food. Okay, well, you cast Detect Poison and detect the slight presence of alcohol in a bottle under one of the lids. It's not poison. Drew's mouth is already completely full. I, I haven't... Oh. Estimon Dean roast potatoes with real parsley. Uh, with like a rasher of thick cut, well salted maple soaked bacon and toasts and pastries and uh, like hot water in a self warming pot with a selection of teas. There's enough here for everybody to eat well. And uh, well, you're not you're not shy about helping yourself. It is delicious. Absolutely, the kind of breakfast that no one, including myself, has time for anymore. Are we really trying to eat the food that was sent by the people that sent Juro out to die? Yes, shut up and eat. You'd honestly think Juro would have learned from his mistake, but clearly someone is lacking in intelligence this morning. I made no such mistake. Dig in, it's good. I, I have survival food. Would anyone else like some? Or are you going to be joining Juro? Juro can be heard muttering under his breath something that, that sounds very similar to Kotsuyu's. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners. And so, listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, 
at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but we'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. So, Vesper, there's been all this hubbub this morning about dead skulks in the yard and that gnomish doctor who put everybody back together with yesterday's fussing over everything and then bam, there's a sound from inside you think. Is it a sound or a feeling of a sound? You're not quite sure but what you do know is you're feeling lopsided and off balance as you push your way through this small mob who's gathered around the covered side door of the carriage house at the end of Castle's Lane. The grass is wet on your feet and the temperature is approaching cool. So, you know, even with the burning spot on your tail and your leg, you know, you're kind of surprised. That was a bad wound. And you woke up this morning like you didn't, it wasn't even stiff. It's a little bit itchy. And like the stitches will take a couple days to mend, but by and large, your leg and tail are no worse off than they were when you woke up yesterday morning. Amazing. But you go out and you can feel the longer grass here around the carriage house that tickling the bottom of your tail as you go. Finally, you find a spot just a little bit away from the carriage house. It's a dune which overlooks the sea and is currently experiencing a cold for this time of year breeze from the north. This can only be an omen, Vesper. Everything is quiet and seems fairly balanced, as good a spot as any. Over to you. Vesper sits atop the dune, legs crossed, looking out towards the sea, and her sword is laid across her lap, unsheathed, and Vesper is singing in Kanyan, lowly, under her breath, and as the air around her starts to grow colder with every word, the words begin to come faster, and the sword lifts from her lap, and she holds it to the base of her remaining antler. And as she continues to speak, she slowly begins to saw at the antler, right next to the skin, as close as she possibly can. It's very slow going as the remaining antler is still strong. It's not time for them to fall off yet, and so she is rushing what is the proper time. Eventually, it saws through enough that she can break it, and as the final crunch happens, there is a pause in her voice as she winces and blood begins to drip down the side of her face. Oh, that was awful, too. The way it felt, you could feel that crunch in your sacrum. As it drips down to the cheek, to the chin, and then drops onto her lap, the sword is replaced on her lap, still unsheathed, and the horn is held in her two hands, outstretched in front of her. More 
words flow from her lips, almost unconsciously, as if she's reciting something that has been recited hundreds of thousands of times by hundreds and thousands of her people. As the cold breeze from the north slowly begins to fade away, her voice does as well, and quietly holding her horn in front of her, looking out over the sea. A single tear drops from her eye, a moment's pause, a moment to collect herself, and the horn is safely stowed away. The sword is cleaned and put away, and the blood is wiped off with no evidence that anything has happened beyond the one missing horn that has appeared. The cold is shocking. It hits you all at once. There's a moment there, just a the briefest, briefest moment where you feel the cold of Kania upon your skin. And then it's gone, and the warmth of the coastal autumn presses oppressively back in. She shivers in a sense of just being very, very uncomfortable, and slowly walks back, humming to herself and thinking about what she will say if anyone asks what happened. The antler that you have left, well, you need them both to finish things, don't you? I do. Well, you don't have both of them, so that one goes into your belts for the moment. You're pretty sure Magrin is lying to you. She knows where the other one is if she doesn't have it. Eventually, I will get answers. However, now is not quite the right time, as there appears to be some rather upset people at the carriage house. Like the old drill instructors used to say, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. And a clever devil is always prepared for opportunity. This is not a great opportunity. It will be. Eventually. Which is why Vesper watches, Vesper waits, and then opportunity strikes. And the camera pulls away from her face as we see her pondering up into the sky where we see like she's got the bandage over the socket of her one horn and the angry button of her other one poking out through the skin of her forehead on the other side. She pats at her bags and pockets until she pulls out a scarf, which she then begins to wrap around her head. must rewind a few moments from here to where Henry Castle steps into the carriage house with a tremendous poof, displacing the air as he does. She so watches Vesper go out in a hurry. He looks 
And Dryly says... She really should take a pastry if she's going to go out this morning. That's a hell of a mess out there. How he just kind of is standing there when nobody happened to notice him walk through the door is beyond anybody. But there he is. Anybody who wants to make a perception check or an arcana check can let me know what they roll. 26 to arcana. Tin got eight perception. How the hell did he get in here, Finn? Like he was he was not there a minute ago, and then he was there. That makes no sense. There is the slight haze as of uh, that haze of heat on the road in the summer, just around where his feet are. Garnack, he's just stepped in here directly from the house. Just straight, yep, stepped over, pop. Just straight teleported over. It is then that you notice the way that the the pattern set into the masonry of the carriage house floor. If you thought it was peculiar that there was no carriages in here, you understand why there are no carriages in here now. This whole floor is, well, it's a great big mosaic teleportation circle by the look of it. You wouldn't have noticed it. You'd been standing on it all night. But yeah, there's no cars, there's nothing in here, not up front anyway. You'd think you could cram three more cars into here, but the front's wide open. Probably visible from that loft up there. Anyway, Castle steps into the into the garage and uh, says that Vesper should take a pastry with her. I will stop explaining now and give you the scene. We have a lunch packed. We'll be fine. Uh, how are you this morning, Juro? Juro swallows and uh, quite well, thank you. And thank you again for your uh, hospitality. Uh, I did have a slight run in last night with some of the uh, <laughs> current residents of the Hawthorne house. My my groundskeeper came running in this morning and told me that there was dead bodies on the lawn, oh. bleeding holes and dead bodies in the on the I thought it was thunder. I do so apologize for that. We didn't really clean up after ourselves. We were a little bit out of sorts by the end of the night. Uh, but uh, no, otherwise completely unscathed. Honestly, it's quite surprising. Well, yeah, I'll say it's a surprise. I'm surprised he wouldn't think to mention this. I have children, Juro. Well, I didn't realize they would be, there would be skulks waiting for me to leave your, your house. I, I guess in the... But in the moment that you found there was monsters running around on my property, you didn't think it was important to, to bring your friends to the house so that everybody could be safe? What if they'd gotten in to my house in the evening? Professor Vallant, I, I must say, I, I, I'm i more than a little disappointed with this, sir. Juro uh, very visibly blushes uh, and says, well, when I left your abode last night, I was... Um, I was, he was stumbling through the night with some undead monsters running around that tried to eat him and nearly ate him and a couple of us. So we holed up in the house over the night and we're leaving now. I'm surprised with your obvious magical expertise, nobody has the means to send a message to the house. I, I, I got to say, I, I, I wish you would leave because I'm a little uncomfortable with having you here now. I'm terribly sorry for any undue harm that I may have caused your family. 
no, no, no harm. It's just you understand it's terrible bad form. People live around here, you see, and uh, there, there's a reason that things are now. You've come in here and you've poked around and you left things open, and well, the whole the whole community's in danger now. That place we've always known it's been haunted, but nobody's had the means to go out there, and well, nobody sent anything. But here you are, and now, and now there's skulks in the yards in the neighborhood. You see what I mean? I do. This I got to tell you. Not the best thing for this kind of area. I don't know what we're going to do about this. Judy's been working on it all morning. Uh, good luck, Professor Vallant. I really do wish you well in your future endeavors. But uh, please, sir, I need to make sure that my house is secure. And uh, that means removing anybody who doesn't live here from it. Thank you. Of course, we'll be on our way forthwith. As he's going, Finn will turn to Mr. Castle and say, um, with these beasts running around it seems like the best thing to do would be to close the back door after you come through it he looks at castle kind of meaningfully well i think the thing to do would would have been to not open it in the first place don't you perhaps if you knew what was already in there which obviously you must have since you came here now excuse me mr adler yeah mr adler is everybody so ungrateful where you come from up in the city? Just wanted to make sure you keep your protections about you. I, I intend to, sir. I'm, uh, I'm quite adept at that sort of thing. I've been practicing magic now for, oh, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And Finn will head out. We're perfectly grateful. Thank you for your help, sir, and your hospitality. We will no longer infringe upon it. We'll be leaving. Have a great day. Well, you do look great for your age. It's all my wife's doing. She's uh, got me on this weird juice thing. Anyway, good morning to you. I have things to take care of. With that, he turns around. And as he steps over the verge of the carriage house, which you see bears the line of one of his teleportation circles, he just sort of vanishes let's get out of here quickly i don't like the that he can just pop in and out yes um we need to go back to hawthorne house immediately it is the travel of a minute to get from the carriage house to the gates and once you're all out past the gates they swing closed remotely and you hear them click shut <laughs> Why are we going to the house? Because this is more than, well, much more than what we initially planned for. I need to notify the, I need to notify the headmaster immediately that we're going back in. It's, uh, things just got complicated. I think, Professor, before we head back in, we ought to get some supplies. Like, maybe at least one other candle, like Annie Mags has. We can probably find one of those, yes. Uh, your necessary preparations. I I need to send a message. And uh, Juro will snap his fingers once, wait about 10 seconds, and snap them again. And a 
a raven with a blue stripe running from where its beak meets its face all the way down its back to its center tail feather appears in his hand. Ellie, uh, I need you to deliver a message for me. Tell Master Erming the hunt is on. You know what I mean. Anything else? We're going to be a little longer than planned, and, uh, well, the expense reports will have to be adjusted, but for the time being, that's it. Oh, man, the hunt is on. Could get expensive. Take longer than planned. Talomen. And with that, I toss my hand up into the air and launch her flying, because at this point, I can't dismiss her and have her reappear all the way back at the university, so she kind of has to make it, make it back, the trip back on her own. The raven flaps up, gaining altitude, and uh, like kind of scrabbles up into the sky, and once she gets up about 100 feet, you see that she catches a obviously catches some kind of air current because she angles her wind and takes off like she's being towed. This is the inward breath. It happens in the morning. For some reason that they've been studying at the university for years and years, there's a great big inrushing of wind on the bay as the tide goes out in the morning. And when it comes in, in the evening, the air goes out. This is not as immediately recognizable here down on the ground, but at a certain altitude, ships can catch a pretty good turn of speed going in and out if they catch these things at just the right moment. You've never seen it in effect before, many of you, if any of you. So to see this in effect is actually kind of a treat. Back to you. So Drew will uh, turn back to the others. While we are doing our preparations, I feel like I should explain a few things to you about what we actually need to do while we're in that house. Perhaps we should not do that while standing outside this gate. Adam, do we know where the closest village is? Yeah, there's uh, probably six cottages going up and down the road. There's uh, there's, an, uh, there's an obvious store a quarter mile down down the road back towards Tallwater. Um, this is just like a big spread open neighborhood. This is a village, Cape Largo, right? We head to the store, see if we can get some supplies there. If they have what we need, then we can figure out our plan from there. Oh, I do hope they have salt water taffy. Well, as you pull up, this is an Arneson's Outfitters. An Arneson's is everywhere here in Tallwater. They uh, started out as one particularly good adventure outfitters up in the main city and have since spread out to satellite offices all up and down Tallwater Bay. They must have six outlets. But if you can't get it at Arneson's, you don't friggin' need it. And that as it happens, is the company motto. So you all walk up to the front doors of this Arneson's, and as usual, it has the great big rolling round front door. This one has the flavor of a beachside tourist store, if you've seen those. In that, there's a lot of cheap souvenirs from Cape Largo and Tallwater, and there's the 
tall water titans memorabilia up, up on shelves and there's more practical things like there's actually a fairly decent fishing tackle section and uh sure enough number three tallow candles an artisan's specialty and in fact the very model that magrin grabbed out of the box before she came out here they are about a dollar each wonderful I think every member of the team should have at least one on them. Is there a confectionery section of this uh, of this outlet store? Of course there is. Adam, can I uh, focus the detect magic ritual that I use specifically looking for charms? Absolutely. I would probably be starting that ritual right about now. All right, well, you've got the... Uh... You've got the subroutines compiling in, in the difference engine part of your Thaumo Encabulation Gauntlet. It's going to take a little bit for things to fire up, but as soon as they do, it should give you some pretty decent perspective based on, uh, like I mean, resonances. You can actually just hold your hand out and judge by how it feels what's going on. So uh, you're kind of walking along, waiting for this to warm up. That's in process. Uh, anybody else here? What do you want to do? This place has got everything from penny candy to three penny nails. It's got camping and fishing and hunting and all kinds of gear and things like that. It's all fairly commercial grade and it's all, well, uh, okay, the prices out here are a little big, but it's all here. Is there a bench outside the entrance to the store? Yep, it has a moose dancing with a bear. Both are taxidermized. Vesper's just going to sit on that bench and kind of just stare off into space. Looking at the moose, but, you know, staring off into space. Whoever that dude is, he's not real good looking, but man, what a rack. There's something about a guy with a big square rack on him that's hard to take your eye off of Vesper, I'll be honest with you. And this guy ain't much in the face, but the way that bear's dipped, he can dance. And it kind of makes you a little bit homesick, really. And you stare out over the over the water and think your thoughts. So I have some torches and a tinderbox in my pack, but I am interested in something I can use to make fire a little bit more easily. Thinking about grubs coming up out of the earth. Maybe, I don't know oil or something that I could spray to do something like that? Is there anything I can see along those lines? In the garden department, there's an irrigator. And what that is, is a sealed tank, which you can wear on your back. And the harder you pump the nozzle that you hold in your hand, which is connected to it by a hose, the faster the fluid will come out. You've seen these in work at work in the menagerie with the gardeners pollinating these plants with the proper pollens and, you know, spraying this for pesticides and occasionally, you know, washing things down with these things. Like a pump action canister kind of thing. That's right. Is there a more portable one than backpack sized? They have like spray bottles and things like that, like a plant mister sort of thing, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'll yeah. get that. that. That's in the gardening section. Perfect. That and some something flammable. A little number two lamp oil, perhaps. Perfect. 
made from whales, but uh, and, and a little expensive, but it does burn really well. Reminds me of home. Megrin's pretty well stocked, but she does want to pick up a replacement shirt for Vesper, who had hers kind of, the back of hers kind of ruined. And since Vesper's not going to shop for herself, Magrin's just going to pick whatever is nearby and of decent quality. She really won't care if it's a really bad tourist, you know, image or anything like that. That won't compute to her. Is it dark color? Because I think Vesper wears mostly darker colors. And is it decent? This is actually, it's, it's well made. Clearly, whoever sewed this knew what they were doing. It's made of good materials. The buttons are really solid. And Magrin, it has the most beautiful floral pattern on it. It uses every color you can think of. This thing is scintillating and will look beautiful on Vesper. Perfect. Magrin will make sure to purchase it so that Vesper at least has a replacement shirt for the one she lost to the maggots. Very good. I'm just looking for, like, one of those five-pound bags of assorted saltwater taffies. I, I'm, I'm a man on a mission right now. There's 31 flavors. They sell it by the pound here, Juro. Juro is going to fill up a five-pound bag of assorted flavors, and he's also going to pick up a small parcel of the maraschino beetles as a little gift for Magrin. These things are rarer than bird's teeth because, well, they're bugs coated in chocolate. Tasty. Yeah, they're pretty terrible if you don't eat bugs, but if you do eat bugs, they're delicious. You've got your big five-pound bag of these taffies, which are all individually wrapped, of course. So there's there's a million little paper wrappers in this big bag. And uh, as you all converge outside, Magrin, you've just come out with this... Your, your package is all wrapped up in brown paper with strings, and you see Vesper, she's sitting out there looking out over the water, sitting next to a taxidermized moose who is dancing with a taxidermized bear. The moose is dipping the bear dramatically. It's somewhat absurd. Vesper, I got you something. I don't know if you had a replacement for the, the clothes you lost during the last battle, so here you go. And she'll just kind of give it to her, pat the package once and then walk away because she is uncomfortable with social situations. Well done, Magrin. That was expertly handled. Package delivered. Sentiment also delivered. Aces. You got that down. Well done. Vesper is like startled out of a trance almost and just looks down at the package and then looks back up at Magrin as she walks away. And then looks down at it again with just a very bewildered look on her face. It is a slightly rectangular package wrapped in brown paper and tied up with string. She'll gently open it to see what it is. Okay, so you open the string and you gently unwrap the paper and you see that it, you can feel through the paper that it's made of cloth. When you open it up, within is a shirt that looks like disco sounds. She immediately closes it, wraps it up, and shoves it in her bag. <laughs> Thank you.
how's the detect magic spell coming? Okay, it's warm. What do you like? Okay, so you're looking for charms. There are things like the local fish lures. There's a whole raft of them actually behind the counter where they keep the muskets and whatnot like that. Magical fish lures, of course, you have to have a license for them and yada, 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 but nothing severely major for charms. Are you looking for anything in particular? I'm checking out Juro. Oh my. Well, apart from the normal extra magic which hangs around him, being a like being an esotericist, he doesn't appear to have had any magic worked on him. Hang on a second. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you roll perception for me, please? Can I use investigation? Yeah, actually, let's do investigation and uh, do it with advantage, please. Twenty-eight. Well, that's interesting because you've seen elves and. Um, what you're seeing is elvish, but not exactly what you've come to know the magical patterns of elves to be like. Is there any other type of magic that seems to be affecting him? No. But now that you look more deeply, you see that it's not that Juro holds magic, because the magic... He's ingested it? Nope. It's that he's making it. Like right now, there is free... Thomic energy leaking out of Juro's pattern. I'm assuming I've had detect magic around Juro on a few occasions before. This has this ever happened before? Not that you've noticed, not like this, no. All right, uh, I'm gonna head up to Juro and then I kind of put my hand on his shoulder. Hey, what are you buying? Salt water coffee. Well done. Well done. His breath smells like saltwater taffy when he opens his mouth to talk to you. You want some? Not at the moment. Uh, Juro, we need to talk. What about? Something's off with your uh, magical aura at the moment. I beg your pardon? Uh, you have a Quincux aperture that seems to be uh, just hemorrhaging magic at the moment. That's quite rude to point out. I think it's bacon-related. Well, then it can't be that bad. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, explain something to me real quick, Jero. So, last night, uh, Hank Castle got you drunk at his house and sent you out where you're almost eaten by skulks. And this morning, you apologized to him after eating his breakfast when the night before... He got almost got you killed. Does this sound normal to you? Well, they rescued us from uh, a house that they've known to be haunted, or at least inhabited for some time. And when they off extended the hospitality to us, we were unfortunate enough to have another encounter on their property. I, I think they were right to be a little bit miffed at the danger that we potentially brought to their doorstep. He put up an energy bridge for us to cross over the chasm. He left up an energy bridge, which is the only way the Skulks could have got to his property. Mm, not the only way, Jero. If the bridge had been left down, maybe. There's a shadow of a doubt is all I'm saying. Are, are you quite sure about that? I still don't know what this has to do with the fact that you're scanning me. I'm 
I'm scanning you because I'm worried about you. You haven't been acting normal. You seem to trust Hank Castle for some strange reason. And I would wager my next year's salary that you're the only one here that does. And you also went to his house and ate a whole lot of food and drank a whole lot of wine, which is a good chance it's laced by. You also don't seem to notice that he's probably about 20 years younger than he's supposed to be. And considering the necromantic energies in the area, that's really not a good sign. You heard what he, what he said. His wife has him on that juice thing. Look, I, I, I think you're being a tiny bit paranoid here, Anak. I'm normally a bit paranoid. Normally I don't have nearly this much cause. I'm fine. We're going to go back to that house, expunge whatever evil lives in there, and be done with. I don't think this is going to be overly complicated. And, well, we've been all but punished from the castle's property for good reason, and it will remain that way after we've left. And that's really all there is to it. So someone happens to be aware of when we cross a threshold into an underground chamber where skulks are being kept and they know the skulks are there. They're able to come straight to us in the house without having any other knowledge of which direction we would go in that maze. They came straight to our location and got there right after we found the skulks. You don't think there's any way that he might have had, I don't know, a bug on the trapdoor going down to the skulks, which we then triggered, or that possibly he doesn't want attention being brought here, like the attention that would come from, oh, I don't know, the deaths of a team of teachers and students coming from a major university nearby? You're connecting dots where there are no dots, Garnack. I, I, we were saved in the nick of time by concerned citizens. I don't think there's anything more to be worried about at the moment that we can even deal with. If there is some evil going on with the castles, well, you've seen what they can do. There's really no point in drawing attention to the fact that anyone knows anything. We can't let on that we're aware that the, I don't know, evil necromancers or whatever you seem to think they are. The best we can do at the moment is return to the mission at hand, return to the university, save my job, and hopefully things will go back to normal and then later we can further investigate. I think you might need to have a talk with Magrin and Fen before we head anywhere. Just in case I'm being paranoid. If you believe that will assuage your your fears, then I will do that for you, Ronak. Appreciate it. Happy. Thank you. I will um, go to the counter and pay for five pounds, even though some have already been consumed. I will pay for five pounds of saltwater taffy and uh, for the small bag of maraschino beetles. That'll be one silver dollar, friend. I will uh, take out a gold piece, and when he gives me change, I will throw another silver dollar down and say, do you have anything strange that happens in that old house up on the hill? Over on Hawthorne Hill? That one, yeah. Roam around here says it's haunted. 
and what do you believe? I believe that there's uh, something bad about the place. You know, the teenagers, they go out there, they have the campfires, something scares them off before midnight. Always happens. Midnight. Okay. Well, I appreciate your assistance, Mr... Crowhook, sir. And you? Vallant. Professor Drew Vallant of Tallwater University. Tallwater University. Go Titans. Yes, indeed. Been a, it's been a bad season for them, unfortunately, but I think they can rally. I've always been a fan, but what can you do? You don't have to tell me that. I'm quite used to rooting for the losing side. And with that, Juro will uh, put his finger to his forehead and give a little tilt of his hat as he uh, walks out. Crowhook returns the gesture and goes back to counting pennies in his register. I'd probably try and find uh, Magrin and Finn and kind of give them a similar rundown that I gave to Juro and see if they could have a discussion with him about what they think might be going on. Seems to be some weather running through here the net today. It rained like crazy last night, let up sometime this morning. And uh, now there's just like little bands of light rain sweeping across the Cape. Nothing here right now, but you can see it out over the bay. Magrin and Finn are waiting outside on the cover porch. So does anyone else find it suspicious that Juro seems to uh, be such a huge fan of Hank Castle? I don't find it particularly unusual. He always has been a fan of his fans. Anyone who can pump up his ego is immediately in his inner circle. Um, but I am concerned about his decision-making skills and, frankly, his appetite. He does strike me as a might trusted. His magical aura is hemorrhaging energy right now. So I'm not sure what's causing that or what really could cause that, but I doubt it's a good thing. Finn will kind of raise one eyebrow to mask the fact that he has no idea what that means. Okay, let me give you a quick rundown on my issues at the moment. We have Hank Castle knew where we were. He was able to find us in the house almost instantly. I can't imagine any way that could happen without some type of alarm tripped when we opened up the door that went down to the skulks which means he knows about the door that goes down to the skulks. That's the only logic that makes any sense to me. Now, outside of that, he looks about 20 years younger than he should in an area flooded with necromantic energy. And if they're drinking juice, I have um, bad suspicions about what it might be squeezed from, especially considering you have lifeless husks of bodies that are soulless and have given up on everything. That's probably not a good direction for my thoughts. I might be paranoid. I'm fairly certain I am paranoid, but I also think I might be right at the moment. You think there's some kind of spell on him? I believe some type of spell has affected him. But I'm also, as I said, rather a suspicious individual. So if you guys have a talk with him, see if he seems more reasonable to you. No problem. And Garnack, don't worry about your paranoia. It's not paranoia if people are actually after you. I feel better. 
Moonlanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. walk over to Vesper and start leaning against the moose. My legs are too short to sit on it, so. Leg. Leg. Oh, that, ow. I heard you talking to Finn last night. Which time? I hand her a wood case. I take it and open it. It would have your antler cut into eight-inch pieces. Why do you have this? What did you do to it? Where is the rest of it? First question. I took the antler because I was planning on using it to see if I can calibrate a way to get you home. It would have similar resonances to you with the different energies that would take place in being able to peel back the lock that's holding you here. Second question. I cut it into pieces. I didn't realize there'd be another significance for you. I probably should have. I don't always think about stuff like that. What was the third question? Oh, this is, I think, all of it. There's still a piece missing from the top. And she's just staring down at it as she's speaking. She's not looking at you. If there's a piece missing, I'll try and get it back. But I did this. This was my fault. We grabbed on the way out. I thought I saw use for trying to get you home. I didn't think about other implications. I probably should have. So this is on me. Vesper is visibly beginning to shake slightly and the air around her grows colder and she closes the 
case. She pulls the other antler off of her belt and places it on top. Garnak, please walk away right now. And this is the first time you've ever heard Vesper say the word please. I nod and walk away. And Vesper will get up, walk the opposite direction of Garnak. Is there a cliff nearby at all? Probably a mile to the north. Okay. Well, she's just going to walk that direction. All right. Well, the cliffs are a bluff, which rise up off of the beach and are probably, like I said, a mile up the road. So you start walking. Find the road, no problem. Even though your mighty antlers have snapped off, you've got all the poise, all of that grace. But every step you take further away, your knees get a little weaker. And your hips start to sag. And soon you fall down on your knees. And your tail is in contact with the ground. And you kind of fall over and grab the soil. And with a great big shriek everybody make a constitution save except for vesper i got a nine finn got a seven your dice are just not with you tonight nick finn and garnet for a moment you are consumed by a longing unlike any longing that you have known This hunger is not for something, but for a nothing. It is cold, this longing. It is so cold. It is colder than anything. Like, Garnak, you've worked at mountaintop skyports, right? It it gets fucking cold up there and hard to breathe sometimes. You've never felt anything like this. Finn, there is nothing but ice and snow and far in the way in the distance, a great dark tower upon the top of which sits the greatest and most inscrutable evil intelligence in any world, anywhere. It looks out over everything. It knows everything that you do. There is no winning outsmarting this. Only service is happiness and only service in the blood war is a worthy pursuit both of you know what it's like to be separated from that purpose for a moment that horrible alien cold and emptiness and sense of domination is it is familiar to both of you as though you've known it all of your lives and then it is gone and for a moment the horrible echoing loss of that resonates with both of you as Vesper's tones die and a great nova of frost and I do mean the kind of frost that settles on the grass in November coats the lawns and trees for a 150 foot radius what everybody knows and everybody knows that you're in trouble Everybody knows what you've been through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary To the beach of Malibu 
Everybody know 